all the way from the land down under, we welcome the Health Bloke Podcast. Talking all this wellness. You name it, the Health Bloke will discuss it, talk about it, or prove it. Whether it's about fitness, food, lifestyle, or more. He's a realist, he's relatable, and he's really good. So settle in, relax, and enjoy. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Health Bloke Podcast, talking all things wellness. Today's episode is using science for results-based training, and I'm talking with Campbell Craig from Health Sense Group. Welcome, Campbell. Thanks, Tori. Well, thanks for joining me, mate. And before we get into the theme of today's episode, can you give the listeners a little bit of, uh, of an insight about yourself, both personally and professionally? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I've been working in, as an exercise physiologist for almost 10 years now, and I, uh, I've worked in a few different settings, mainly in private practice and a bit of community health as well as uh, some corporate health. And at the moment, I'm working mainly with in an allied health clinic and spreading my time also between a, a medical centre and a sports doctor's practice. So it gives me lots of variety in my work. Yeah. There's a lot of running around, but seems to balance out pretty well. Yep. And then uh, I love practicing what I preach, so I'll definitely get out of the house every day and do something to keep me fit and healthy, and then the weekends are probably a bit more fun-based, might be a bit of a surf or a trail run or a mountain bike and all the good things that I like to stay fit for. Yeah, you, you mentioned, um, and I, I sort of know that you've got a bit of a passion for trail running and surfing. When you're in that space, are you doing it just for physical wellness or is it mental wellness or is it a combination of stress relief or is it you know what's what's your main reason is a hobby um give us a little bit of a background in terms of your your trail running career yeah i think that's what really appeals to me about trail running it ticks all of those boxes so it it started off as a, a way for me to uh to explore a few more areas around victoria I, I love getting down to Wilson's Prom and probably make it down three or four times a year, but um, I'm terrible at staying inside all the main beaches where the surf is, and I've never I've never explored to the east side. So I noticed there was a trail run coming up that, that did a big loop of the prom. So yeah, right. I signed myself up as a way to really get out and explore and force me to get away from Squeaky Beach and yeah. and Whiskey Bay and all those beautiful surf spots. Right. So um, and it was a good way to to get into it. What sort of distances are we talking about with the trail running? Is it, is it well, sort of long distance or? Well, so far I've only done the uh, the baby events, as I call them. Yeah. So my first one was up at up, up at Mount Buller, and that was 22 Ks. Right. Uh, there was also the longest one there was, I believe, 44. Right. Um, at the prom, it was 44 Ks, which was the baby event as it went up to 100. True. And, uh, and late last year I did one up at Falls Creek, which was 60 Ks. And uh, again, there were events up to 160. So when you're starting off, I, I found that it was uh, it, it really helped with that that mindset, knowing that there were people out there a lot longer than you are. So even yeah. though it was the furthest that I had been running, and I was hurting a whole lot, there were people who were going to be out there a lot, a lot longer than I was. So for me, it gave me a bit of confidence that I was going to get through, despite how uncomfortable I was feeling at the time. Yeah, I guess from um, you know a science point of view, or for you in terms of your career. You'd probably always preach to you know, other athletes or weekend warriors to start off on the baby events and condition yourself, you know, to get your tolerance and you know and your body right before you go into the, the longer events. Anyway, 
Yeah, absolutely. I've uh, I've done a couple of longer road runs, marathons and, and the like, and I was unbelievably sore after doing the 20K run at Buller because yeah, right. it was all uphill or downhill. There were, there was You couldn't run. You're either bombing downhill or power hiking uphill. There was no rhythm to get into. So the whole time you're just, you know, smashing your muscles on the way down and then grinding your way up. And I was I was so sore for a week compared to, you know, the, the regular soreness you might get from a long road run. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So uh, and, and the surfing that's just purely a hobby. Yeah, yeah. That's my. Uh, that's probably my my main way to relax and unwind and. A big part of that is the beautiful surroundings you get into and the, the way you get to explore the coastline. I'm pretty good at exploring coastal Victoria and Australia and not so great at getting inland, so that's something I'd like to work on. Wow. But, uh, yeah, surfing's taken me to a lot of places around the world and around Australia uh, that I really enjoy seeing and you get to meet new people, explore new cultures. Yeah, right. It's a great excuse to travel and yeah. it's, I find it's great fun. Yeah, and a, and a pretty healthy sport to go with it, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. You need to, as a weekend warrior like myself, where I typically get out on the weekends, you need to try to maintain a base level of fitness. Otherwise, you, you just don't have fun. It's just it's hard work every time you get out. If you don't have any strength in your shoulders, you know, you'll get a sore back. You just you can't last as long, especially in the cold water that we've got now in Victoria. Yeah. So you just need to keep that base fitness up so you can make the most of it when you're out there. Yeah, nice, nice. Well, you mentioned earlier that you'd been an EP, an exercise physiologist, for 10 years. Can you explain to the audience, or for those that are unfamiliar with the term exercise physiologist, what it actually is and, and sort of how it fits into that, I guess, allied health profession? Sure. So I, I keep it simple and I explain exercise physiology as the art and science of keeping people moving. Nice. So we work with all, all sorts of different demographics. You could break it up into chronic diseases and uh, and regular injuries, musculoskeletal injuries, yeah. and probably end up seeing maybe 50-50 of each. So uh, chronic diseases, the main ones would be your cancer recovery uh, or assisting people through their chemo, managing their fatigue, right. uh, working with people with diabetes or cardiac disease, and then you've got a whole range of autoimmune diseases, uh, people with osteoporosis, so there's really all sorts. Yeah, right. And then with injuries, the other side of things goes from your, you know, your athletic population to people who just might have a bit of a sore back and knees from from everyday life, or trying to keep people working towards their goals. Which I assume is a large percentage of the population these days. Yeah, it's, it's everyone. But I just yeah. remind people that if you do have an injury from running, from you know, playing an activity on the weekend, even if you're just running around after your kids, if you pull up sore from straining something, tweaking something, at least you're doing it, doing something that you enjoy. It's not because you've been sitting too long at a desk. You are, you've at least, you, you might have hurt yourself, but at least it's doing something fun. Yeah. I, I guess, uh, you know, I'm fortunate that I've been in the health profession for over 20 years and I understand, you know, the art, the science and the importance of an exercise physiologist, but... How do these people with chronic illness, with autoimmune disease, with injuries, um, source exercise physiologists or know that an exercise physiologist might be a better treatment plan than a physio, a chiro, an osteo, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we typically get our referrals from other allied health, which might be the physios, osteo, okay. chiros that you mentioned, yeah. uh, as well as your GPs, 
uh, specialists, all medical professionals. Uh, right. Who, but you typically need people who are pro exercise. Yeah, and it, it, there is a little bit of a divide between the the treating practitioners who are a bit more guarded towards their their patients and don't want to, you know, put them at risk of of hurting themselves once they have a chronic condition that they're trying to manage as well. They don't want to add injury on top of that. Yeah, and I, I do understand their concern, but ultimately, if they could be referred to the right people with the, the right background and knowledge to look after them, yeah. then we're going to be able to assist them through that without increasing that risk of injury and hopefully building a bit of strength and resilience and helping them to best manage those chronic conditions. Yeah, so there is a good relationship between your other allied health professionals? Yeah, I think we do get along really well. You, uh, There's so many different people out there yeah. and you find people that you naturally gravitate towards. Yeah, okay. And when I was starting off trying to you know, network with other allied health and other health professionals where I'm based, I would probably look at the ones who didn't have access to exercise equipment. Right. They might be working out of their own room uh, or a smaller clinic without access to a gym or, or other, other equipment. Whereas I found that the best results, the best referral network that I would have would be ones who have a gym on site or are really pro-exercise because that, they get it. They understand the importance of it. Yeah, okay. And they know... They know where we fit in. That yeah. It's not competition. We, we purely complement what they're doing. We might be the, the next step uh, that they can refer their, their patients on to and continue to get best results. Yeah, so you're just sort of adding value to the, the actual pl the plan going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it's good to have two practitioners sending the same message and it helps people to really take that message on board and, and start to put into practice everything that they've been told. So working as a, as a bit of a team as opposed to by yourself can, can be really beneficial. And likewise, I'll happily refer on to someone else that I, that I know and trust to make sure that we can all work towards the same goal with the same person. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, so... I guess getting into the, the topic of the podcast and discussing using science for results-based training, um, explain your skill set or, or even talk a little bit about your business and tell the listeners how you go about this. Like, I think it's really important that, I guess, for you and, and your training or your treatment plan or your protocol, it is all about um, trying to get the best results for your clientele rather than just you know putting a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, that's, that's right. So I think the way that we fit in best, well, that I fit in best as an exercise physiologist, working with other allied health or with medical practitioners would be, based on our assessment, I'd probably do more of a, a functional assessment where you look at the way people are moving in multiple directions, how much strength they have in a more functional way, getting them to do some squats and single leg squats and some more dynamic balance testing based on what their objectives are, what they're recovering from and where they want to go to. Yeah. So you might find that a physio or chiro, if I was to generalise, might do more special tests that can determine where the injury is and what imbalances that this person might have. Right. And then I look at how we can add strength and function on top of that. So trying to take the that more acute injury to the next level to make sure that it doesn't become, doesn't return, not a recurrent injury and try and progress people into more, more towards those long-term goals that they've been setting for themselves. Yeah, excellent. And I guess obviously every treatment plan or protocol is different. If you're treating someone with an injury, do you find, sorry, do you find treating someone with an injury is easier than someone with a chronic illness or autoimmune or 
you know, they've both got their challenges. Yeah, they definitely both have their challenges. I think the the big difference that I notice is when you're working with someone with the athlete mindset compared to someone who yeah. might have a more sedentary related injury. Yep. And I think that's probably the best generalization that I can give because you might have someone with a chronic disease who still has that athlete mindset where you essentially have to hold them back. So right. you really you're trying to program their exercises to progress them gradually when they want to do more and more and more, but you know that that will result in a flare-up or an exacerbation of their symptoms and won't lead to these long-term long -term results. And same with athletes. Yeah. We, uh, we had a little chat earlier about your triathletes, and they do maybe 20 hours of training a week, and they are so keen to get back into that. So you're trying to give them the right dosage of exercise so that they can recover from their injury without doing too much and re-injuring themselves or getting back to their sport too quickly. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And obviously, you know, the last couple of months or even years, there's a lot of research being done in regards to chronic pain um, and even mindset and how, you know, trying to change people's mindset in regards to chronic pain and, and how they're feeling and functioning has a lot to do with their outcome. What's your view on people that are suffering chronic pain and I guess is it is it psychological is it physiological is it a combination of both can you is it 70 30 what, what are your thoughts yeah chronic pain is it's certainly an exciting area at the moment it's it's there's been some really good resources and uh, out there for the last quite a few years and especially from Australia there's a couple of fantastic researchers based around Adelaide and around uh, the rest of Australia that are doing some fantastic things yeah right. but I, I think the difficult part is trying to explain to people with chronic pain that uh, although we don't have pain receptors it is an output from the brain it's not that they are fabricating pain right what, what they experience is it's absolutely real right, so okay. If they're feeling pain, that is exactly what they're feeling. It's just that it might not necessarily be proportional to the injury. So okay. trying to explain to people that we have these tissue healing timeframes and once they've gone beyond that time frame, then we're looking at trying to break down that, that tissue pain response and oh, that okay. feedback response that they might be associating with their with their environments or with particular postures if it's you know sitting related or standing related or walking related. So finding ways that you can break down that association of pain with activity. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. It's really hard to do. So I think this is where the, the, the whole team-based approach comes in really well. So you want to have a good GDP on board uh, who will then try to manage uh, manage the individual in association with other health professionals as well. So I think if someone has chronic pain that they're trying to deal with, I wouldn't take it on by myself. I'd love to work with other people yeah. and make sure that, they have all the help and support that they need to encourage them and gradually move them through that phase. Yeah, I reckon that's really sound advice, Campbell. And I think in the health space, probably the biggest negative a lot of the time is people try and work in isolation um, rather than getting, you know, complementing their services, as you say, with a GP or a physio or a chiro and, and allowing them to work to their strengths and then they bring Campbell in and Campbell works to his strengths in terms of the EP. But at the end of the day, the result is that the client um, gets the right treatment protocol and overcomes the injury or illness as quickly as possible. But I think people are afraid of you know, losing control or losing a client and at the end of the day, the treatment plan's probably not as individualised as it should be. 
Well, that's right. And everyone gets to focus on what they're good at. So, uh, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. If you do want someone to take control, and if that's the GP, then that's fantastic. If yeah. they're happy to pass on to someone else who has a special interest in that condition, then they can take control. But the GP would still be involved in that person's management. So, uh, yeah, as long as you can kind of make sure that someone is taking the reins, then we n- normally get quite good results. Yeah, and I guess for, for the listeners and those that have, haven't worked closely with an EP, an exercise physiologist before, um, you do have um, a, a provider number, don't you? So people can claim on their health insurance and use your services and benefit that way as well, can't they? Yeah, that's right. And if they've got a chronic condition, then they, they might be eligible through Medicare if the doctor is happy to refer them through that pathway as well. Yeah. So there's uh, there's certainly options. So it, back to your job and your role, and, and also keep it, be mindful of the topic using... Um, using science um, as part of your training protocol. Uh, What's the most challenging component of your job? I think at the moment, the most challenging aspect would be setting clear expectations. Yeah. Because if people come in and you establish what they're working through, what their injury or condition might be and what their goals are, and you can – to find a, a reasonably clear pathway of how you can get there, but it's quite difficult to – there's so many variables that it's quite difficult to establish exactly how they'll get there. So it, it's not necessarily just a stepping stone approach where you start off with some basic exercises, which you can then progress from activation into strengthening, into more functional-based activities. It's it's not a straight line, unfortunately. Yeah. A, it's a long and windy road and trying to – get that message across because I think it's quite easy to, to sell hope, to, yeah. to tell people that I know what, you, what you're going through. I know that it's really frustrating. Perhaps you're a runner and you've got these ongoing issues and you can explain to them how they can improve this condition and they can manage whatever tendon issue they might have. But then if they don't have a clear understanding of those timeframes that are involved and what's expected from them, whether it's – the right amount of exercise that they have to do or how much rest they have to put in as well, which is another yeah. important variable, then they might not progress as you as well as you want them to. So managing those expectations can be quite tough. Yeah, that's, that's a good, good point there. And I guess that's the hardest thing, isn't it? As a health professional, as you know, you might see clients once or twice a week, um, but it's that intrinsic motivation that you try and instill in your client that they have to do outside of the sessions with you that's really going to be the uh, the most benefit to to them overcoming their injury or illness. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the uh, I think one of the greatest aspects of being an exercise physiologist is that we don't do hands-on treatment. So no touching, which I I love. Yeah. People have to move themselves. They have to do everything themselves. We can give them all the information, education that they need. I, we've got fantastic software that makes it nearly impossible for people to get their exercises wrong or to do too much or too little. You can make it really specific, really easy to follow. But if people still don't quite take that information on board and they're not able to apply it as you want them to, then there will be varied results. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. And I I certainly love following your Instagram, and I'll put the link up in the show notes as well because you go through – a number of exercise and movement patterns that you get clients to do to overcome or strengthen or retrain um, throughout the whole treatment protocol. Is a lot of your um, treatment plan based on 
functional exercises to get them back to you know, pain-free movement or activities of daily living or is it you know, just depending upon you know, the environment and the clients working in, their injuries, their protocols? Um, you know, is, is there anything, is, is there a snapshot of your business you could say, okay, this is the way you work um, and you try and instill that within all, all of your clients or is it just varies you know, case by case? It does absolutely vary case by case, but I've been doing a lot of research recently into strength training for, for endurance athletes, particularly for you know, long distance and ultra distance runners, nice. because it's something that I'm looking in you know, personally as well as professionally. And I think it's, I, I love the science behind it. And yeah. I also love how you can apply it to just about every other uh, aspect of exercise physiology. You, you delve really deeply into heavy resistance training and heavy strength training, and you can see how in different studies they've got different results based on how they structure their exercise components. And, right. uh, and that that's incredibly varied based on uh, the time required because you need to consider people's lifestyles and uh, how fatigued people get after performing these exercises because if the, no one wants to run with tired legs. Yeah. Uh, so trying to balance out all those different variables I find really interesting. So if you're looking at those variables and for you as an exercise physiologist prescribing these programs for an endurance athlete and, and using science behind it, what's your minimal amount of training volume that you think someone would have to do to benefit if, if say I'm an endurance runner and I'm working with you and you're using your science to approach to say okay Tori you need to do x amount of strength-based training what do you think's the minimum requirement to get a successful outcome well good question what I would what I've tried to figure out to make it specific to the individual which is always important is to figure out how much of the history of resistance training that these people have. Yeah, nice. uh, that's, I think, the most important variable to start off with. Yeah. So if it's someone like yourself who's got a really strong history in the gym as well as, you know, you've participated in, in many marathons and ultra marathons, uh, you know, you've managed to, to push yourself to the limits in, in all of those different environments. Yeah. So uh, your history of training would put you right up there. So for you, I could aim at quite a high level. Yeah. So for, for your, using you as an example, which I think is quite a good one to start off with, yeah, yeah. I'd give you two heavy strength training sessions a week, mainly because that allows for two days rest in between yeah. to allow an adequate recovery. And uh, you know, rest is really important. It means that we can probably push you a little bit harder during the strength session yeah, nice. and then give you a little bit of time off in between. Now, I've always been an advocate for resistance training strength training for endurance runners or athletes and i'm glad you're going down this path and i think you've got a really exciting business model going forward would you structure your strength-based training program again using me as a subject as total body strength training or would you specifically focus on core lower limbs um give me the, the breakdown what, well, personally, what I would do is focus on lower body, yep. but heavy resistance training. So I'd get yep. you using barbells, kettlebells, dumbbells, yep. as much weight as you can carry, and right. doing high sets, low reps, probably building up to three sets of four to eight reps, trying to get you to fatigue as quickly as you could. Yeah. And you know, as you know, when you when you're holding and using that amount of weight, if you're doing a deadlift or single leg deadlift or a split squat 
or a, you know Bulgarian lunge, something like this. Yeah. The amount of force and pressure going through your core, through your trunk, through your hips, through everywhere else, the yeah. incidental core strength that you develop, I believe negates the effect for needing to then go on and do some planking exercises and yeah, some okay. targeted core strength. Love it. So, yeah. and it's also a time save. I, yeah, I yeah. think that based on the research, what we know is that you really need heavy strength training. Yeah for your lower limb, for all those muscles that you're going to be using for, you know, 100 plus Ks on the trails and on the, the yeah. long run. So you need to target those muscles that are going to be fatiguing. And you, you feel better when you have a strong core. So I really, I don't want to take core strengthening away from anyone. Yeah. You feel better. You feel like you can run taller, like you can yeah. transfer those forces better. So if people want to do core strength, I am absolutely all for it. Sure. But I'm a really firm believer that people don't have as much time as they as they would like to. So when you're trying to add more and more exercises in, I'd keep it really simple. Pick a couple of heavy strength exercises for those muscles that you're going to be relying on for, for hours on end. Yeah, love it. And okay, that's a good example. Let's now go, because my recent podcast was a beginner's guide to running a marathon. Let's look at your bucket list runner that wants to run a marathon that's got a limited strength um, history and comes to see Campbell and you're going to implement a strength-based training program for their um, for their marathon. They've got 16 weeks to prep for it. What do you suggest or what, what's your breakdown in terms of times per week? Is 16 weeks enough to get, you know, a transferable outcome so they perform um, to their best of their ability? Yep, beautiful. That's a great, great amount of time. Yep. I... Uh... I mean, I love the negotiation as well, you know, where you get some people who've got all the time in the world and other people who are just starting off and might not have the most uh, the most experience in a gym-based environment. So I'd ask them and figure out if they were going to be doing these exercises at home, in a park, in the gym, yeah. what would be best for them. Sure. I, I think that it would be most likely more beneficial for an individual like this to do their own form of training as opposed to join a circuit-based gym class, which would help with their general fitness and conditioning yeah. and general strengthening, but it, it's not necessarily running specific. Yeah, nice. So if you don't have the access to heavy weights or if you don't have the confidence to be throwing around heavy weights, you can absolutely do body weight strength training yeah. at home, in the park, anywhere you like, at the gym. Uh, but they do need to reflect that, those running patterns as closely as possible. You love it. So, so specificity is really of, important. Yeah, absolutely it is. Yep. And a lot of the benefits that you get are neuromuscular. You know, you're improving that brain-muscle connection. So if you go and do a whole lot of planking and things like this that might help your core feel better, it's not necessarily specific to running. So uh, yeah. it'll make you feel better, make you run yep. taller, which we love, but it won't necessarily stop you from getting – you know, tired or cramping calves towards the end of a run. Yeah. So I'd still give these people a bunch of exercises, most likely a lots of calf raises. Everyone will be getting calf raises regardless of what level you're at. Yep. So many calf raises. They're so good for you. Yeah. Um, on top of that, I'd be looking at trying to add in, depending on how much time they've got, some exercises to, to target their quads, glutes, and hamstrings. So mm. whether or not you isolate them and give them a, a more deadlifty kind of move or put them all together and give them some squats and lunges. Yep. Whatever you decide on, it'll have to be 
targeting those muscles and trying to get them to fatigue because yeah. if you're not getting them tired, then they're not going to become stronger. So you can keep it quite simple. Yep. Some home-based exercises will work and you're looking at two to three times a week, which is a little bit of a trade-off because yeah. you're not putting as much force through those muscles. You might have to do it an extra session a week. And but, um, with that, sorry, Campbell, with the home-based stuff, when you haven't got the, the level of resistance or strength, do you then increase the rep range? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you'd be looking at going up to maybe 15 reps, probably 6 to 15, and giving people that window so that you might start off doing regular deadlifts just to learn that motor pattern, learn the action, feel that you're using you know, your glutes and your hamstrings as opposed to lifting with your back. And once you've got that under control, you can do them with confidence. Then you can go to one leg, and that is enough of a change in, in body weight so that you can increase that resistance. Yeah, so there's no. ways you can still make it challenging and target those muscles without necessarily needing to add a lot of weight. Love and then it. from there, you can jump into some plyometrics, some jumping, landing, yep. where you really drastically increase that force a little bit further. Right. And that's a progression, obviously, through the middle phase of your program, would you say, your, your plyometric-based training? Yeah, I would want people to be com comfortable and confident with their body weight exercise training, probably depending on their level of history of exercise yeah. i'd start off with a good two three maybe six weeks if they didn't have much strength training history previously yeah and then try to add in the plyometrics because with body weight you're not really going to get enough resistance to keep adding that strength and getting those strength benefits right but with plyometrics when you're adding jumping and landing the forces that go through your muscles are significant so you can still achieve some really good results and yeah. it doesn't take much time they're really time efficient yeah, okay. Interesting. Interesting. So if you were to prescribe your top three exercises um, for strength-based training or strength-based training for an endurance runner, for a triathlete, what would they be? Great question. Uh, we, we are allowed favorites as exercise physiologists, yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. So uh, what I would want to Basically, that's what I'd be building up towards, I guess. So yeah. with the, the heavy strength, I would want to build people up to doing some heavy single-leg deadlifts yep. because with with running, muscles that you're going to rely really heavily upon that are sometimes uh, neglected would be your, your hamstrings and your adductors. And standing on one leg, doing some deadlifts will target those muscles a little bit too. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to include them some split squats with a probably a barbell to make sure you can get enough load. Yep. So, and then your calf raises. Yeah. Okay. And if I was to pick and choose between my favourite calf muscle, I'd be looking at at soleus, so the lower calf muscle, trying to get lots yep. of strength through this. That's with a doing some calf raises with a, a bent bent leg. Yeah. Okay. Now on so the calf raise, do you, yep. and, and for the listener, would you prescribe the heel going lower? Um, than your foot? Like, would you have it on a raised object or would you have it just going from the, say, standing flat position up on your toes? Yeah, good question. So I think that's worth pointing out because with when you're adding that heel drop, yeah, you do a lot of compression through the, the tendon, which if anyone is recovering from any Achilles tendon issue, then you want to be mindful of that. Yeah. So I would start people on the flat, and when they, they find that it's becoming a little bit easier with that weight, then they can maintain the same weight and add in that little bit of a heel drop so they can drop their heel off a step doing the same exercise. Yeah, love it. 
But yeah, you, you wouldn't necessarily want to jump into that straight away just because you you may upset that tendon and, and that's no fun for anyone. Yeah, and I'm stoked that you mentioned calf raises because very, very few people show any respect uh, to calf raises or developing calves. And considering when you're running, it's you know plays a major role in uh, your propulsion. It's um, it's fascinating that not not a lot of people actually prescribe that as an exercise. Uh, you're absolutely right, and it's soleus is less so as well because they don't give you that lovely, you know, definition that <laughs> yeah. you get just below your knee. They're the one that's kind of hidden, the extension of your Achilles, tucked in behind your gastrox, and they're, they're just not a sexy muscle. But uh, if you look at their function. They've got a really high proportion of slow twitch muscle fibers, which is what you're going to be relying on if you're running long distances. So that the better able they are to tolerate loads and go for long distances, then uh, the further and faster you'll be able to manage. So, Love it. yeah, calf raises get my vote for the, the greatest exercise you could do for running. Yeah, great, great. I think that's a really uh, poignant point there. And I love the fact that you said single leg. Um, and I often provide single leg, whether that be you know, leg extension, leg press, hammy curls or whatever it might be. Because again, most of the time when you're running, you're only there's, there's one leg on the ground at one time. Um, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So I think it's really important that in, you know, your single leg deadlift's good. What I do see a lot of, um, and I guess it's getting a little bit more respect in the industry now, Campbell, is glute activation. Um, why do so many of the general public have such poor functioning glutes? Yeah, I think there's probably a few different factors going on there. And one of the big theories is that we spend so much time sitting now that we're just we're putting our glutes to sleep. But another big part of it is that they're such a big, powerful muscle that they're really only required for big, powerful movements. Right, so okay. if you're not performing those movements, then you're really not demanding that they work for you. Yeah. So you have a look at your your, the, your classic difference between your, your sprinters at the Olympics and your long-distance runners, and the sprinters have yeah. those huge glutes compared to your long-distance runners that yeah. might you know, just have a nice flat back straight down to their hamstrings. So sure. they don't as, – as much – as good as they are for long-distance running, they, they will help you to run further for longer and they'll help you to feel a whole lot better. Yeah. They don't help you to generate as much power unless yeah. you're going up and down hills uh, and they, that's where they contribute the most to your long-distance running. Yeah, interesting. So you wouldn't put a lot of focus on glute raises or hip hitches, you'd rather combine that into your single leg deadlift or you know your activation that way rather than having an isolated exercise? Yeah, I'd look at trying to get them to work more as part of the team. So yep. I think with hamstring strains being so common, a yep. lot of that is because people's glutes aren't working, so they're putting more and more strain and pressure and demand on those hamstrings. Right. So if, if your glutes aren't working, they lead to so many different issues, more pressure through your back if you're getting tightness and tension through your back. And if you're running long distances and your back's getting tight, that's yeah. not very nice. So yeah. the, the benefits of having happy, healthy, active glutes are absolutely huge and it's more keeping them working as part of the team than, well, I think is as opposed to necessarily isolating them to get some, some independent strength. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we could keep talking about this forever. If one of my listeners wanted to work with you or engage with you, um, do they have the ability to come, especially for those people that are in Melbourne, um, and I don't know if you've got a, 
the capabilities of doing online programming or, or video streaming or something, how do they get in contact with you? Because there's some fantastic information and, and for those weekend warriors or people that want to get stuck into endurance events and aren't doing any strength training, um, I really see some value in this podcast. How do they get in contact with you on a, on a personal and professional level? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the easiest location at the moment would be at the City Bars Sports Medicine Clinic. Yeah. So right in the heart of the city on Swanson Street. Uh, but also online, I'd be more than happy to do online consults, especially for runners who might be out of town. And, you know, if you're trail runners, they typically gravitate towards Dandenongs and the Surf Coast and all those interesting trail regions. So it's uh, it's not too difficult to look after someone as far as a strength training program goes and give them the right amount of exercises and explain how they can progress them accordingly. Uh, I think that the exercise software we've got is really fantastic and it integrates with Skype too so we can keep an eye on people and uh, keep them running on track. Yeah, okay. Well, that's fantastic. And I'll, I'll put your Instagram and web page in the show notes as well because you have got a pretty informative Instagram homepage. And I see on your web page you've got sort of three different specific businesses under the one umbrella. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there's obviously there's more to... Uh, health sense group than just one-on-one exercise physiology that's right so the exercise physiology in the clinic is is one aspect yeah and then i'm uh, i'm i'm passionate about injury prevention which is you know obviously that's that's one of the big parts of working with with middle long and ultra distance runners to try to make sure that they can keep those those k's in their legs without breaking down yeah and then uh, the third aspect would be injury, injury prevention in the workplace which you know, it's 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 a hard sell injury prevention. It's not very sexy. So with yeah. athletes, at least you can talk about performance enhancement. And then in the workplace, as you know, you have to use uh, other figures to try to make it appealing to to invest in, in employees' health and well-being. So yeah. what I really like working with there is your more blue-collar workers, people who are at high injury risk. Yeah. So trying to make sure that they can perform their role as best as they can without you know, succumbing to back, hip, knee, neck injuries because I've done a lot of work in the workover sector working with these people to try and get them back to where they were and it's 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 hard work. It's, yeah. uh, it's a long journey. So, um, yeah, those, those are the three that I like to, to work in at the moment. Yeah, great. Well, again, I think you've raised some really good issues there. Um, we could continue this conversation. It might be best if we get you back on for another podcast um, at a later stage. But for the listeners, I will put all Campbell's contact details in the show notes so you'll be able to get them um, on the iTunes uh, homepage on the Health Bloke podcast. But what I'd like to do now, mate, just to finish off this podcast, is launch into the Health Bloke quiz just to give the listeners a little bit of insight to who you are and, and how you roll. It's just 11 informative questions where we're comparing certain things. Um, so you happy to go ahead with this? Yeah, fantastic. Let's do it. Okay, so there's probably a number of questions I could answer myself. But question number one is what do you prefer, exercise versus movies? Yeah, it's got to be exercise. What about question two, savoury versus sweets? Yeah, I'm going to go with savoury. Oh, there you go. Okay. What about question three, chocolate versus cheese? Uh, I, I'm a, a cheese fiend, so okay. I've got to go for that one. That's okay. What about water versus juice? Yeah, water. And yep. if, if someone was to ask Campbell how much water you should consume on a daily basis, is there a set amount that you prescribe? This is one question that varies so much amongst different people. You, you know, you often hear two letters a day, two, two letters a day. 
What are your thoughts, or, or what do you base this on? Yeah, I, I don't think you can give a uh, a clear measurement. It depends on yeah. the kind of training that you're doing, and there's so many environmental factors. But yeah. I'd keep it really simple and ask that if you are struggling with your hydration, that you just make sure you pee clear once a day. Perfect. Keep it really simple, and if people figure out how much water that takes, then they'll hopefully be feeling a whole lot better because yeah. you know you need good water for good energy. Sound advice. Sound advice. Okay. Question five: Wine versus beer. Yeah, wine, particularly in winter. Red or what? Yeah, red. Yeah. red. Yeah, nice. Book versus magazine? Books. Are you reading any good books at the moment? Yeah, I've got a few on the go. Yeah. I, uh, I like to pick one up depending on what I feel like at the time. Okay. So um, some some of them are textbooks, I'll have to admit. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I'm part of a book. Book group, which uh, is more about wine and cheese, but we do uh, we do discuss the book as well. Okay, nice, nice. Okay, question number seven: carbs, no carbs, some carbs. Uh, lots of carbs, lots all of- the way. I um I like lots of variety with my carbs, yep. but yeah, I'm I'm pro carbs. Great. Favorite meal? Well, I love Moroccan tagines. Okay, homemade. Yeah, when yeah, probably not often enough, but um, yeah. Excellent. Favorite holiday destination? Uh, I try to get down to Apollo Bay every two or three months. Nice. So the um, yeah, for those who haven't heard of it, it's about two hours from where I live, and I love it. Yeah, great part I, of the um, Spend a lot of time traveling overseas, and I just I love that part of the world. It's beautiful. Yeah, great coastline. If you could change one thing, question ten. If you could change one thing, what would it be? One thing personally. Yep. I would, uh, if I could. Well, I know I can. I, I I should work harder on my social relationships. I think I put a lot of effort into my the business side of things okay. and personal health. Yep. I think uh, that's one area that I should really. Work a little bit harder on. Nice. And final question, question number 11, define wellness for Campbell Craig. I think for myself, trying to get I – mean, I don't believe in, in, in life balance. I yeah. think that if you had balance in your life, then you'd probably be a little bit bored. Yeah. But just trying to make sure that you don't have too much extremes in, in any one direction. So – if you're lying in bed at night and you can't switch off about work, then that's probably needy. You know, that's something that needs to be dealt with. If yeah. Likewise, if you can't sleep because you haven't done any exercise for a few days and you've just got too much energy or you're feeling lethargic because you haven't moved enough, then try to get that uh, back in order as well. So trying to make sure that I've got a little bit of everything working for me as opposed to these uh, this unbalanced no tip of the scales. Yeah, love it, love it. Well, thanks for joining me today on the on the podcast using science for results based training. You've really put some great knowledge into this podcast, and I hope the listeners get a lot out of it. Again, thanks once again, and look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, Tori. Appreciate that. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Health Bloke Podcast, talking all things wellness. If you haven't subscribed, please do leave a review or share as we all know that the health bloke wants everyone to make health a habit.